Sharon's tough. She, she beats the notes into us. All right. Morning, church. So, am I? Am I on? Hello. I just I have to eat the mic. Eat the mic. Rise up and praise him. For he is our God and worthy of all honor and glory. He is the rock. There is none other like him. All creation came from him. All the beasts and the birds were his purposefully were purposefully made, and all the fish and denizens of the deep were his design. He threw the sun into the sky and separated the dark from the light. He breathed life into humanity and bid us multiply, subdue, and rule the earth. A royal priesthood are we, his priests and priestesses, to make worship, made to worship him and enjoy his blessings. So sing loud and dance to he who rules over us and loves us. For we are made in his image and are promised life everlasting in his presence. Would you please rise? Rise up and praise him. I can't see. Right on. Ancient words. All right. The Holy Bible is humanity's operating manual. It's a collection of 66 books written by 40 authors in three different continents, in three different languages, over approximately 1,600 years. 
The Greek philosopher Aristotle argued that all humans share one goal, and that's to flourish. Throughout the centuries, societies and individuals have wrestled with how to promote flourishing. So God's word revealed to us in the Holy Bible speaks to these issues. While the Bible may not use the term human flourishing, the story of the Bible shows humans how to live a good, true, beautiful, and purposeful life, how to flourish. However, Christianity's answer to the problem of human flourishing is different from all other philosophies and religions. The Bible tells us that we cannot flourish in our own strength. Why is that? Why is that? Because we are corrupted by sin. All right? We were created for a relationship with God, but humans have attempted to flourish apart from God. So for Christians, human flourishing centers on a person. Who is it? Jesus Christ. When we place our trust in Christ and his work, we are transformed. We are not only saved from our sins, but we begin a process of becoming like Christ. Come on. Central to trusting God and being transformed is to believe and understand his word. Romans 12 tells us, Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that is by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we need to be transformed in our mind. Central to human flourishing is making our minds Christian minds, and central to that is understanding and following God's word, word, the Bible. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound. of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope, in this world where we roam, ancient words will guide us home. Ancient words ever true, changing me, changing you.
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who can move mountains with a thought, conquered death and rose from the grave in order to purchase forgiveness for us. In return, if we believe, if we live with him, if we believe, we will live with him forever in heaven. So sing to his glory and praise him, for he is near. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the home of nations. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save author of salvation he rose and conquered the grave jesus conquered the grave so take me as you find me all my fears and to follow everything I believe in now I surrender Savior he can move the mountains my God is mighty to save he is mighty to save I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He chose with me, brothers and sisters. Okay. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord with God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, um, seeing this is from uh, Zondervan, uh, Grace and Truth Study Bible. Seeing Sadducees silence, the Pharisee tests Jesus by attempting to draw him into a debate that was taking place among Jewish teachers regarding the greatest commandment in the Mosaic Law. In response, Jesus quotes Deut Deuteronomy, Love the Lord your God, known to be the overarching obligation of every individual Jew. The commandment to love God necessitates obedience to all God's commandments. Jesus then quotes Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. Love involves the concrete responsibility of being useful and beneficial to one's neighbor, both Jew and Gentile. These are the greatest commandments because they go to the essence of the way God has created humans to live. We are to give ourselves to God and others to fulfill God's purpose purposes for us as the crown of his creation in displaying through our lives the glory of God's kingdom on earth. Good word. I'm going to ask uh, those who are helping with the offering if they would come forward, please. Okay. Thank you, guys. We're going to pray. Uh, we, uh, through your graciousness, uh, We've helped some people in need over the holidays, and we thank you for that. Um, 
And uh, my prayer is that uh, on this Thanksgiving holiday, and I understand holidays could be difficult for many, but we have a lot for which to be thankful. Uh, the fact that we woke up this morning, right? <laughs> uh, you know, we had hot water. We had uh, food on our tables and a lot of things we take for granted. You know, thank God for friends and family and church and uh, other good things in our lives. And so we're going to pray a prayer of thanksgiving uh, this morning, if you don't mind. And then we'll wait upon you for the offering. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are told that all good gifts come from you. Father, we thank you for the many gifts. We thank you for the gift of our salvation, first of all, through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve it, Father, but grace put that gift forth to us to receive it by faith. And then all the other blessings you give us, Father. We thank you for family. We thank you for friends. We thank you for a place to worship. We thank you, Father, for how you have provided. Thank you for helping us uh, help our community, whether it's through the uh, free lunches, the, the high school, um, uh, the benevolence fund, whatever it may be. Thank you that we can point people to the grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, as we enter the holiday season, this is a, a season where hopefully more hearts will be open to the miracle of Jesus. And so, Father, help us not to lose perspective. Help us to reflect that Jesus was very God in, in flesh, fully human and fully God, who invaded this mess of humanity to save us. And, Father, we give to the work of spreading the gospel. Bless the tithes and the offerings and the givers. And, Father, we do this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Does anybody know the name of that? Turn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, right? Turn, right? Am I right? Okay. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and I hope that's what we do this morning. Do you know, um, some of you have been through uh, school, whether, you know, it's middle school, high school, college, even graduate schools, uh, know that you've had some pretty good teachers and some pretty bad teachers. Isn't that true? Okay. I, I was expecting an amen for my son because uh, he's in graduate work now, and uh, uh, he tells me about you know, some of his professors, and uh, I hope they're not looking at this video. Uh, but a, a competent teacher is valuable. Would you agree with that? All right. A competent teacher is valuable. I'm, I'm going to give you an illustration. This comes from an old joke, but it's pertinent uh, for today. You may have heard it. If you didn't, just bear with me. It's about a uh, scientist who was doing research with frogs. Okay. And uh, he got a frog, put it on a table, and the table was measured, you know, in, in feet and all. And he, he would say to the frog, jump, frog, jump. And the frog jumped five feet. So in his journal, he says, you know, frog jump five feet on command. Okay? So this is only a story, okay? The scientist cut off one of the frog's front legs. And he says, jump, frog, jump. And the frog jumped four feet, right? 
So he records in his journal, frog jumped on command four feet. Well, then he cuts off a third leg. And he says, jump, frog, jump. And the frog jumps barely a foot. So he puts in his log again. Frog jumped on command. Little less than a foot. Then he cuts off the last leg. And he says, jump, frog, jump. Frog, jump. And when the frog didn't jump, he goes back to his diary and he says, Removal of all legs, frog is deaf. <laughs> not a very good teacher, not a very good scientist, correct? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a joke. <laughs> Pat's getting upset out here. It's, it, it's a joke. Um, the point being that uh, any teacher or researcher is only as good as their integrity, right? I, you know, you can, you can have people who don't know how to do a lot come to wrong conclusions. In this part of Ecclesiastes, we come to Solomon's conclusion. And Solomon's conclusion uh, is, is quite interesting. Now, this is the 12th chapter of um, Ecclesiastes. And in that 12th chapter, uh, he concludes his journal and says what he needs to say, of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but these are words we need to hear, all right? Well, why is Solomon so important? Another way of, of saying that is, was Solomon a trustworthy teacher? Well, the answer to that is yes. Do you remember, I mean, Solomon looked at living life apart from God every which way he knew how. Correct? You know, through riches, through fame, through great buildings, through, you know, you know, if I if I can if I can use this analogy, please, not to get political, but you know, Solomon was kind of like the Trump of his time. You know, he had real estate holdings and these beautiful buildings and all, and as much as he had, he found out pretty quickly that living life apart from God was all meaningless. It was all meaningless. So he looked very carefully. If I were his professor, and he did this as a um, dissertation, I would come to the conclusion that he did more than enough research to come to his conclusions. His goal was to impart knowledge to his students that they could apply to their lives. That's a good goal for a teacher, right? We don't want to be knowledge vendors, if I could put it that way. We want to impart principles for living so that you can take them and live your life in a meaningful way. In Solomon's case, not apart from God, but with God. Are you tracking with me so far? Okay. He thought, he thought everything through carefully and taught using many proverbs. If you read the language in Ecclesiastes, very similar to Proverbs, isn't it? And uh, valuable Proverbs. He, he searched for the right words to communicate with his students. Words have power. Words could also be destructive, right? And Solomon really agonized. I mean, he says, you know, I want to communicate this to the students, first of all, so they can grab a hold of it. And second of all, so they can understand it. And third of all, that they can apply it to their lives. And it, it would have some meaning from, you know, we have a few here who have taught. There's nothing like when you teach seeing a student get it, right? They get it. Um, I had a math teacher in high school who was very good. And 
uh, we had him for calculus and probability. And uh, when uh, when we got it, he, he, he did a dance, you know? It was like, hey, you finally get it. You finally get it. That was Solomon's heart. He wanted to use the right words. He made sure what he wrote was upright and accurate and in agreement with God's word. All right? So you think Solomon's qualified? Yeah? You don't sound too enthusiastic. Let's look at the, uh, the conclusion. This is his qualifications. I just went over them with you. Not only was the teacher wise, Solomon, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher set, uh, searched to find the, uh, just the right words and he wrote, what, uh, what he wrote was upright and what? True. Not like the researcher with the frog, right? I'm sorry, Pat. <laughs> Pat's never going to forgive me for that. No. He says the words of the wise are like uh, goads. You know what goads are? Anybody? Well, you'd have to be a farmer. In, in Jesus, well, in Solomon's day, uh, when uh, they used ox to plow, if the ox would start to veer off, you know, the line, they'd have these long sticks with a sharp end, and they'd poke the uh, ox in the hind legs with it, and the ox would come back. Those are goads, okay? Um, he says the words are like goads. In other words, as we learn from Solomon, and of course he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, the words he writes can help correct our course. Right? They help correct our course. At least they ought to. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails. Well, you say, Solomon, what? You know, are you asking me to lay on a, a bed of nails here? Or? No, no. Um, this is, you know, what a, a, a euphemism, not a euphemism, but a, a kind of a um, colloquial phrases. You know, you know we all, every language has colloquial f phrases, okay? This phrase uh, in the Hebrew means, has this in the background, okay? Firmly embedded nails, it, has, it, it, it means that a house that is built with wood has to have strong nails. Otherwise, it's going to have what? It's going to collapse. He's saying they're collected sayings you can rely on because they will never collapse. They'll never go bad. And it was given by one shepherd. Who's our shepherd? Okay. We must be careful that nothing else be added. Isn't that what the next verse says? Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. We were going over Sunday school this morning looking at biblical, uh, a biblical theology of justice and equality. And... Uh, too many times, uh, even pastors have been guilty to try to add to the word of God, to try to get the word of God to say something it really doesn't say. God sees that as bad, by the way. He says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. That's a stern warning. I, I think that is repeated again several times in the Old Testament, and then in Revelation, right? At the end of Revelation, what does it say? Let no one add or subtract these words. It gets better. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. <laughs> uh, 
You know, in, in some of the ancient uh, times, um, there were libraries that uh, existed with a lot of volumes of books. Uh, and today, I, my guess is we have more books than we've ever had before. Uh, there's books about everything, and uh, not all of them are good. Some are good, some are not. What Solomon is saying here is, look, if, you, if you're contending with the issues of life, and you're seeking wisdom, you don't need to go into Barnes and Noble and look at the how-to books or, or whatever. You really don't need to do that. You don't need to go online to the Amazon and, and search the books there. I, there. There's so many books about so much. I literally have met people who read books so much that they become tired and they have nothing for, no energy for anything else. And it wearies the body. Listen, studying's work, isn't it? Studying is work. When I prepare for uh, a sermon or Sunday school or the round table or the Kelsey school, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. The, the many books that we have, we have books about parenting, right? We have books about marriage. We have books about relationships. We have all of these books and yet we're worse off than we were years ago. And I believe the chief reason for that is because we've ignored the word of God. We've ignored the word of God. We've settled for cheap substitutes. A, you know, a person can get tired of investigating all of these books and, and learn the wrong wisdom from the world. Here's, now we're coming into Solomon's conclusion. Now all has been heard. In other words, the evidence is all in. Research is done. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Very simple. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the duty of what? Pretty simple. But he, this is the conclusion from good research and good wisdom. And God's hand was in this, of course, through the Holy Spirit. But fear God. What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean? You need to have reverence for God. God is God. We're not. It implies submission to God. Correct? I say again. Worship. Okay. It, it really is coming before God and being so humble uh, because of who he is that we have no choice but really to fall on our faces. And, you know, people say, well, you know, why should we be afraid of God? That's not what this is being talked about. What's being talked about here is showing him reverence and respect. However, if we reject God, then we should be afraid of him. Correct? Keep his commandments. Is there anybody here who does that perfectly? At least you're all honest. Right? Yeah. Keep, keep his commandments. Now, and the commandments that are in view here, of course, are the Ten Commandments, right? And nobody can keep those. Jesus did. We can't. And the, and the Ten Commandments were written to point us to our need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, when we fear God, we come to God through Christ in faith and repentance, the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in us. Now, the Holy Spirit, from the inside out, gives us the desire to keep his commandments. We may not do it perfectly, but before we knew Christ, we had no desire to do that, did we? 
That's the difference. That's what it means to be born from above. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. How do you feel about that word, duty? It's a bad word today, by the way. Right. Sure, sure. But it, what I'm, the question I'm asking is, it says, for this is the duty of all mankind. What other word could you legitimately substitute? Dad, Vince. Obedience. Obedience. Listen, God, who knows what's best for us? God does. He's not going to tell us to do anything that's bad for us. Now, I'm not saying that when we obey God, nothing bad will happen to us. After all, isn't that what Jesus did? There's a freedom in obedience to God. We lose that perspective. There's a freedom to obedience in God. Because, excuse me, because when you're obedient to God... You're at peace to know you did the right thing. And not only did you, did you do the right thing, but you glorified God in the process. And not only did you glorify God in the process, but you showed love to people you may not even love. And not only that, for the first time, some people might see Christ in you. For this is the duty of all mankind. Remember I shared with you the Westminster Catechism uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the first question in the, uh, the catechism is, what is the purpose of man? Well, the purpose of man is to know and love God and enjoy him forever. That's the purpose of man. That's why God created us. He wants us to love him. He doesn't force us to love him. But we have to come voluntarily through Christ. If you remember last week, the um, congregational reading was Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And today I chose the greatest commandment. Simple because the, the conclusion Solomon came to, Jesus reiterated. Well, Jesus, out of all the commandments, which one is the most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. And the second one is as important as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the conclusion. As we... In obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit, obey those things. God can use us now to further his kingdom in whatever way he chooses. But we can't love others unless we love God. Isn't that true? We can't love others unless we love God. And we can't love our neighbors unless we love God. Well, Jesus takes it a step further, even prior to that, and he says, love your enemies. Ah, come on, Jesus, get real. Love your enemies. You pray for them. You pray for their salvation. You pray for them, because Christ died for them also. So here, here's my prayer in, in all of this. My prayer is that as we, as we work through Ecclesiastes and we, you know, every once in a while, Solomon just kind of dropped a pearl of wisdom through it. That we listen to those pearls of wisdom because he continued to say, I tried everything under the sun apart from God, and it was all vanity. It was all vanity. However, when we live life with God, 
it's glorious. I really think if, if we can get that reinforced in our own spirits and let God transform us from the inside out, we can glorify God despite the circumstances. We can glorify God even in, in hard times. We can glorify God in our lives. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The song I chose to close the service with is uh, uh, In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone is our hope. <clears throat> In Christ Alone is not only our hope, he is our salvation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to Jesus but through me. In Christ alone is Christmas. Not Macy's. Not Walmart. Right, Em? In Christ alone is the resurrection that in the resurrection, sin, Satan, and death were conquered. In Christ alone, you and I are more than conquerors because Jesus conquered the grave. In Christ alone, you and I are forgiven once and for all. In Christ alone, we have our identity. You're not defined by anything or anyone else. You're not defined by your failures. You're not defined by your successes. You're not defined by what people say. You are defined because when you put your trust in Christ, you are a child of the King. It is he who defines you. In Christ alone. I'm going to ask praise team to come up, please. And if you, if you are able to stand as we sing this last song, and then uh, you can remain seated. We just got to do a short order of business uh, with the budget.
singing let's pray father I pray that we would learn well from the teacher you that father through your Holy Spirit you would help us apply to our lives what we have learned through Solomon father help us to glorify you in everything we do and as we come to a business meeting father May we just uh, give you thanks and glory. And Father, as we dismiss, dismiss us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Those of you who want to stay for the meeting, you're welcome to stay. Okay.